So tonight I thought it would be um, interesting to um, talk a little bit from the point of view of what are the secret teachings? I think early on in my sitting, I, I started in a, a Tibetan tradition, and then I went to Zen, and I finally ended up here. And somewhere in that, in that uh, exploration, I heard or got the impression that there were secret teachings. And I imagined that if I practiced really hard, that eventually somebody would take me into a special room somewhere and tell me to sit down and, you know, look intently in my eyes and give me, finally, give me <laughs> the secret teachings. And all my troubles would then be over and I would have it and I would be able to um, perhaps give it to others. That was kind of my little naive idea about what the secret teachings were. But the secret teachings are actually always here with us. That's what I eventually discovered. The secret teachings cannot be told to you by another, actually. You will never read them in a book. You will um, perhaps be taken into a special room and be given some teachings, but they may not be the secret teachings. They may be, be sort of ordinary teachings. The secret teachings are actually, and this actually makes them much more interesting in a way, and much more under our, um, in our own uh, power, you could say, the secret teachings are actually self-secret. They are the teachings that are always available. They're right here in front of our noses. But we keep them secret from ourselves. Those are the real secret teachings, the ones we keep secret from ourselves. Why? Well, the Buddha's observation was that human beings are born into a condition of some, he called it ignorance, but we don't need to take it personally. It's not like we're bad to be ignorant. It's just a kind of veil that we come in with, a kind of blindness that we don't see our true condition as human beings. <coughs> and that keeps us from actually seeing what is true, seeing what is here right in front of our noses. Now, the good news of this is that we don't have to go anywhere to get the secret teachings. We don't need to go, like when I was young and learning Dharma, I, it seemed like they were all in India, or in Nepal, or in the Himalayas, or in ashrams, or in special places. But actually, what we, all we need is to look within. The secret teachings are available any moment that we choose to pay attention, to turn our attention inward. So a lot of the Buddhist um, training is a training of attention, learning how to look within, learning where to look, how to look, what to look for, what not to look for, how not to get lost, because it's really easy once you start paying attention. There's so much 
of interest and we can get off on side trips really easily. So the whole basis of this Buddhist teaching is based on our ability to attend to our own experience, to attend inwardly to our experience, to reflect on the experience we have in our lives, and to learn from that. That's the whole basis of the Buddhist teaching. And it was one of the things that I think most attracted me when I first heard the Dharma, was this idea that the Buddha said, come see for yourself if what I say is true. Come test the truth of these teachings in your own experience. I had never heard anybody, I don't think in my whole life, say that. I had, I had almost heard the opposite, I think. I had by that time a PhD in clinical psychology. I never heard that in graduate school. It was always, read Freud, read the texts, read this, read that, learn this knowledge, learn that knowledge. Not that that's not valuable, but this idea of learning and trusting that we can learn from our own experience was a radical notion. And it is for many of us. Not only to look within and and learn from our experience, but to trust what we see. Trust what we come upon in that exploration. When we really pay attention, when we, lear- when we learn how to look in that way, the secret teachings begin to reveal themselves. If we were to go on a, a media fast, which I think periodically it's very good for all of us to do, whether we're on retreat or not, just to take a day even. You can't go on retreat, but take a day to not turn on the radio when you're driving to work. Take a day not to watch the news, not to read the headlines, not to whatever your your favorite, you know, the way your attention goes out to the media. Just turn it off for a day or two. That in itself is a radical shift in our attention one that we can do in our daily lives. Some people come on retreat, I think, just to get away from CNN for 10 days, you know. But we can do that in our daily lives as well and see what occurs in that space. We actually find we have so much more space. There's so much more space, so much more um, available to us in terms of our own experience, feeling, our life. And when we do that, we find that we have everything we need, actually, to learn the Buddha's teachings, to learn the truth of what he spoke about, which was basically the truth of suffering, that there is this quality of unsatisfactoriness in life. Even if we get everything we want, are we satisfied? 
Not always. In fact, most of the time, no. There's this quality of, of unease that comes with being a human being and having desires and aversions. So this, this understanding of suffering and actually what leads to a lessening of that or to an end of that kind of endless, restless grasping, the endless suffering of our condition. So, it's wonderful to know where to look for the truth of the teachings. And I think I was kind of blessed when I started practice, which was back in the 70s. There were no Dharma books. I look back on that now and I see it as a kind of blessing because I had very few concepts about what this path was about. The only way to really learn the Dharma was to go on retreat with a few teachers. There were only a few teachers around. There weren't so many teachers. There were no Dharma books. There were no tapes of talks. All this whole industry that's sprung up, you know. Now that's useful, but it's not a substitute. It's not a substitute for this sitting and looking. This slowing down, turning your attention inward, that's where the real jewels are found. Attending to our own life and really having such respect for our ability to learn in that way. Here's a poem by Hafiz to encourage you a little bit in this direction, and it's called For Three Days. Hafiz is not a Buddhist, but this is really a Buddhist teaching, you could say. It's very congruent. He says, Not many teachers in this world can give you as much enlightenment in one year as sitting all alone for three days in your closet would do. That means not leaving. Better get a friend to help with a few sandwiches and the chamber pot. No reading in there or writing poems. That would be cheating. Aim high for a 360 degree detox. This sitting alone though is not recommended if you are normally sedated or have been under a doctor's surveillance because of your brain. (laughs) Don't let Hafiz fool you. A ruby is buried here. Imagine that, a ruby in your closet. So that's what the Buddha was saying, really. Look within. That's where you will find the treasure. We call it mindfulness in this tradition. We call looking within in this way, reflecting on our experience in all postures. The Buddha said, not just sitting do we do this kind of inner exploration, inner inquiry, but we do it while we're walking. We do it while we're standing in line at the grocery store. 
We do it while we are lying down, taking a little rest. We can bring this kind of attention into our minds, into our hearts, into our bodies, in any posture, in any activity throughout the day. So it's not just confined to the sitting. Sitting is wonderful. There's a wonderful discipline about it. There's a wonderful support that comes from sitting. But we can do it also in all these other situations. So when we look to our experience and actually trust what we find when we do look within, we discover what I call the secret teachings. So tonight, let me mention three of what these secret teachings are. The first, which we actually, you know, as I said at the beginning, we, we trick ourselves into not seeing or not paying attention to. So when I say this, you're, you're going to, I mean, it's going to sound so obvious, and that's what the secret teachings are. They're the very obvious things that we fail to notice. Or that sometimes it takes like amazing events to notice. One is the truth of impermanence. That everything is constantly changing. The truth of change is the first really important secret teaching to pay attention to. Not that, oh yeah, things change, I know that. And they particularly appear to be changing in my friends' lives. You know, wow, look at that person. That was, whoa, you know. But actually to see the change in our own lives is quite awakening. Now I can tell you the story of my foot because that has provoked a certain amount of change in my expectations. (laughs) Sometimes change occurs in these unexpected ways that kind of catch us off guard. We have an idea of one thing and then something else arises. So I was last uh, Monday, actually, I was with friends up on the um, uh, foothills of the Sierras. We decided to go to the river one afternoon. So we had in mind to go down to the river. I had my dog with me. And we would just hang out at the river, you know, have two or three hours just lolling about, swimming, reading our books, having our snacks, just, you know, kind of a summer day at the river. So we drove down this canyon, we walked way down this steep trail, we finally got to this gorgeous place on the river. And hadn't been there more than five minutes, just sort of beginning to organize our stuff and everything. And I see my dog, who's a small Jack Russell Terrier dog. He loves the water, but he doesn't know rivers. So I see my dog. He has gone out a little bit, and the current has caught him. And he is... (laughs) I looked in his eyes, and he looked in my eyes, and he was saying, Mom, I'm in trouble. So, of course, I just followed him right into the river, and there we were, the two of us, suddenly in this big, like a washing machine, you know, <laughs> like this big whirling thing, and he was up, and I was down, and then I was down, and he was up, and it was, I mean, it just happened like that. It was so fast. Finally, I grabbed him and, you know, had him in my arms, and we were suddenly kind of pushed 
into a, a more calm place in the river so I could begin to get my bearings and begin to swim and then walk. And I was walking up the side of the bank, which were these rocks, huge big boulders, very, very, very slimy and slippery. So of course, in walking out of the water with Max in my arms, <laughs> feeling victorious, you know, I took a really bad fall and uh, ended up fracturing my bone in my foot which I didn't know at the time, which was just as well that I didn't know it at the time because we still had to haul ourselves up this really steep trail back to the parking lot. And it was eh, one of those unexpected um, events which completely changed our uh, program and has actually changed all my plans for the summer. I, had, I was going to go hiking in the Rockies and... I guess not. I guess I'll be doing something else this summer. I'm not sure what, but it's not going to be walking about in nature. So um, sometimes changes happen that way. They're sudden, they're unexpected, they're not what we want. What can we do? There they are. They ask us to take another look at this life. I, I had these thoughts while I was, I didn't think at all when I was following Max into the river and then I, we were in the middle of this thing and I thought, oh, this is how people die. <laughs> <laughs> it was just clear as a bell. It didn't have any particular alarm in it. It was just kind of like, oh, this is interesting. I guess we could die here. So. Sometimes changes happen suddenly. Sometimes changes happen really slowly. And one of the secret teachings that I am also receiving these days is the teaching about getting older. You know that one? Any of you over 45 here who are understanding that it actually begins to happen to each of us? And it, it happens, you notice how it happens gradually? Like, you know, it would be a real shock if you suddenly, like, went from 25 to 50 overnight. You would really, you know, that would be such a shock to the system. It's kind of kind to us. It happens really slowly. So first there's just a few little wrinkles, a few, few gray hairs, and then a few more aches and pains. And it just happens so gradually. But it's a kind of teaching, isn't it? You learn something from that doesn't just happen to other people, it happens to all of us. And it's true that there is old age sickness. Maybe we haven't gotten to death yet. Maybe we've had glimpses. Maybe we've had close calls. But we begin to get the drift of where we're headed. Now, we can feel victimized by this or, you know, go into major um, rejuvenation. You know, there's all kinds of things out there to keep us young and, and uh, sexy and healthy and youthful. And we can sign up for all the programs in the world. But it's just kind of a delay thing, you know. <laughs> Eventually, we get the drift where we're all headed. So we can take it as, as a feeling of, ooh, poor me, or we can take it as a teaching. 
We can take it as, aha, this is what the Buddha was talking about. How can I open to this? What is there to learn from this experience? So often change confronts us with the difference, I feel, between how we thought something was going to be and how it actually is. You know, even with meditation, is meditation, you know, you come here, you have maybe some ideas about what meditation's going to be, and then you sit down, and you feel like, well, this could not be meditation. This is something else. This is, <laughs> this is some other, you know, strange path I've gotten myself involved with. This is not what I thought it would be. And a lot of our, our, the changes we go through in our lives is this kind of correction between how we thought something was going to be and how the reality of how it actually is. We can think of so many of our experiences in this light, experiences of relationship or going to school or taking a job or we have these dreams and ideals and how we think it's going to be. And then often it's quite different, isn't it? Quite different. Our lives turn out so differently than we thought maybe they were going to be. Many people say this. I've experienced that. I never had any notion ever, ever in my life of one, being a teacher, or two, being a meditation teacher. That wasn't on the program in grow- growing up in the suburb of New York where I grew up. So we often end up, for better or for worse, in very different kinds of situations as we go through our lives. This is all, it's, it's behooves us to see it all as a teaching, not as some mistake or some, you know, good fortune or some bad fortune. It's, it's just the way change works in life, is it creates situations for us to learn from. <coughs> So that is one of the first of the secret teachings. The other, uh, and this this quality of, of change, we can notice any moment of our experience. We don't have to wait for some big dramatic um, incident. Right now, you can notice moment to moment the changes in your thoughts, in your sensations, in your mood, in your likes, in your dislikes. One moment you're calm and centered, the next moment you just want to run out of here. These changes are always happening, and we can notice them, not take them personally, not to try to make them stop, but, you know, it's like that learning to surf. I'm sure you've heard this from Jack or one of the Spirit Rock teachers about Swami Satchidananda, uh, a poster of him on a surfboard, lovely, you know, guru with the long white beard, flowing white robes, on a surfboard. You can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. So this is what we are doing in the changes of our lives, learning how to surf, 
with as much grace and ease as possible. The second of these secret teachings is the truth of suffering, the truth that there is a quality of uncontrollable, unmanageable, at times, suffering in our lives. Um, My father died when I was 16. He died suddenly, unexpectedly. He was away from home on a business trip. He had a heart attack and he died. Now, I didn't know anybody at the age of 16 who'd had a father who had died. To me, this was like a big mistake. You know, in a 16-year-old, you think you're a grown-up, but you hardly are. And so that kind of suffering became, change, bringing suffering, was really present with me from an early age. And I remember um, the day, or a few days after my father died, it was in March, and it was on the East Coast, and it was early spring. The forsythia was just coming out. The little um, lilacs were beginning to appear and little lilies of the valley. And it was such a huge event that my father could die that I couldn't believe that life would continue. I couldn't believe there could still be flowers blooming. I mean, it doesn't make sense to the mind, but that was the feeling because it was such a unexpected uh, piece of impermanence showing itself. We all receive this teaching in myriad forms, unexpected suffering, suffering that we cannot avoid. Another time in my life, many years later, after I'd gotten my PhD, I, I had a job that was uh, actually splitting time between working at juvenile hall and suicide prevention. And for a whole year, I went back and forth between (laughs) these two workplaces, you know, kind of from the frying pan into the fire and back again. And it was a real teaching because I came in touch with a level and kind of suffering that I, being a very protected white middle-class American had never come in contact with before. People whose lives were in such dire straits, such poverty, such um, dysfunction, such um, physical, you know, illnesses, and just so much that I, I was, it was a real awakening for me to, to a level of suffering that I did not know I hadn't had an. Ex- I, I knew it existed, but I hadn't experienced it in the way that I did that year. And I think actually that year, um, because it was so difficult, it actually opened me to hearing the teachings of the Buddha. I think until that time, I was not open. I thought Buddhism or meditation, cult. That was my only association. Some sort of cult for you know strange people. Little did I know. (laughs) I'm a leader of a cult now. (laughs) Kidding, I'm kidding. It's wonderful, this kind of um, community, because we are so not a cult. 
I don't want to make anybody nervous. Um, <laughs> we're known here as, um, like, people call the people who work here at Spirit Lock, it's like herding cats because we're all so independent and not, not uh, very tribal at all. So. The third secret teaching, so there's the, the truth of change, the truth of suffering. Whether we want it or not, it appears in our lives in some way. And how, how do we deal with it? How do we take it again as a teaching, not as a, a place of victimization or we made a mistake or something is terribly wrong with me, but as a teaching about what this life is asking of us. The third and final secret teaching is that of the, the truth, really, that we're not as much in control as we like to think. This is a very key piece of the Buddhist teaching, and perhaps the most subtle, because we are, we are control fanatics, you know? We really do think that our lives are under our control, and if we just get it together, It'll all come out fine and dandy, just the way we want it. But, as we've already explored, there will always be something unexpected, unpredictable, that shows us this is not true. There is a man, a cosmologist by the name of Brian Swim. Perhaps some of you know him. He has an institute called The Story of the Universe. And he's a wonderful teacher, and uh, as a cosmologist, looking at the, the history of the evolution of life as we know it in the universe. And one time he said something which I remembered, um, which was that he said, you know, if there was a person alive who had studied and could remember every event in the evolution of life in the universe, that person, which would be an impossible task, but if that such a person did exist, that person still could not predict what was going to happen next. Life is not going to do that for us. It's just not going to be predictable. It's always going to show us something we hadn't imagined or thought possible. Actually, in the Buddhist tradition, there are practices which, um, particularly in the monastic traditions, there are practices which are undertaken for the very purpose of breaking down this illusion of control. There's one such practice that puts people in the unknown, puts puts monks and nuns into unknown and unpredictable situations. It's called Tudong. And it's a practice of, in a way, going on a pilgrimage, although it's not that organized. Monks and nuns may leave the monastery and take with them very, very little, just their, their robes and their bowl. And they start walking. Sometimes they do prostrations. They walk, they don't know where they're going to get food, who will help them, who will offer them food. 
They don't know necessarily where they're going to sleep. And they're purposefully putting themselves in that condition. Imagine it. Anybody here ready to sign up for that? Hardly. It's just putting yourself in the most vulnerable kind of state. But for the purpose, it has a purpose of seeing how attached we can get to our comforts, to our habits, and purposefully cutting through that, purposefully um, allowing uh, those little places of clinging. You know? We all have our habits even in, in retreats, or, you know, which I know because I teach them, people get into very comfortable habits. That's just what we do as human beings. I've been there, I've done that myself. But this practice is to cut through that. There's a sign at a, a Achan Cha's monastery in uh, Thailand. It says, if you're still following your likes and dislikes, you haven't even begun to practice Buddhism. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not that we can just toss them out, but we can begin to notice them. We can begin to work with our desires, work with our aversions, work with our liking and our disliking mind. It's always available, this mind that likes and dislikes. All of these teachings, when we come in contact with them, are really an invitation to stop. To stop, to sit down, Take a deep breath and investigate. Investigate what is going on. Look at your mind. Look at what what it's bringing up for you. This is a very rich field of, of exploration. I really didn't want to have a fractured foot. Really. I wanted to go hiking. And it's put me through some grief, some, you know, feelings of, I don't like this. I want something else to be happening. But on the other hand, it's like such good practice. For one thing, when you fracture your foot, you got to slow down. So as I hobble along in my life now, I notice things. I talk to people that I usually don't talk to. Homeless people, for some reason, feel a great affinity with me these days. (laughs) They come up and ask me things, and they talk to me, and we have conversations about life. And You know, there's this other world that opens up when we don't, we aren't in our usual habit. There's another thing that begins to happen when we stop. We don't know what's going to happen when we stop. We have to stop to find out what's going to happen. But we do discover a whole different world begins to open up. A world of possibility and of actual richness. It's kind of curious. Many times, uh, you know, if you've had a life-threatening illness yourself or if you've had friends who've had accidents or illnesses, 
they go you go into another zone where you you life becomes quite rich in a certain way that perhaps is not available when we're so busy being in control and knowing what we want and what we don't want and pursuing our desires it's very paradoxical so that is basically what i wanted to share with you tonight i'll i'll close with a poem of of rumi it's called who makes these changes i shoot an arrow right it lands left i ride after a deer and find myself chased by a hog i plot to get what i want and end up in prison i dig pits to trap others and fall in i should be suspicious of what i want so maybe we could just sit together quietly for a moment Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.